Miles, it is a time of great celebration that we find ourselves in. It is a time uh, to be with family and friends. It is a time uh, to reminisce about a, a year gone by. And it is also a time to celebrate a Seahawks victory. How are you, my friend? Tristan, it's great to be with you. I think the listener can feel through the earbud a, a crisp Northwestern, uh, you know, the trees. There's maybe a, a pine scent coming to you right now. You're back in the motherland. How does it feel to be back there in the that's nest? R- that's right. Our second podcast in a row, a dual Northwest podcast for us. So I now find myself in Paulsbo, Washington. I am in my brother's laundry room recording as we speak, just to kind of, you know, give everyone a little inside baseball, a little behind the scenes, which is which is what we want. We want a, a podcast of transparency, I think. And to let people know that I can smell, you know, just the the clean linens of the house, um, I think is very important. Um, it felt great. Watch the game with my dad, um, which is always fun. We, uh, my mom, God bless her, um, set us up with a nice Christmas Eve brunch. Um, and so we brunch started at nine 30. No, I'm sorry. It's even better. Brunch started at nine 45. Um, so we recorded the game. We went to brunch. We had a very nice family time. And then pops and I sat down for, what was kind of a, a slow start, would you say, of a of a Hawks game, by the way? I mean, you know, not quite the that that first crisp um on schedule drive, right? That that scripted drive that we've been talking about. How'd that go this week, Miles, with the script? You know, it is amazing with this team that like their strengths become weaknesses and weaknesses become strengths. Uh really yes, because right after we mentioned how often they're scoring. On the first drive, the whole first half was just nothing. Uh, am I? I'm not wrong. Run defense was was a strength of the team at a point early in the year, right? And now we've gone two straight weeks, a lot of backups in the secondary, allowing well under 200 passing yards, but getting absolutely destroyed by not one but two Tennessee running backs. Um, yeah, weaknesses, strengths, strengths, weaknesses. The team can do it all. Um, not all in the same month, but they have shown they can do it all. We we still hope. I was I was thinking about your thesis the entire time. I was very excited. The idea will this be the game? It all comes together. Will will you know? Will we get that one game? We still got two more weeks to get, to get the one game where everything comes together, where they they just hit on all cylinders. Um, I will say, you know, one of my takeaways of this game was this felt to me like a very vintage. Seahawks game I don't know like if if you felt that way to me this felt like what I'm used to seeing from Pete Carroll being really slow start which is what we've all come you know to to become accustomed to over the years slow start and then figure out a way at the very last minute to win which in some ways it felt kind of um comforting to me to like it kind of go back to mama a little bit like yeah here we go this this is what we're used to watching. I do like the opening drive touchdowns quite a bit. I've become accustomed to them and a little um, spoiled by them. But did this feel a little bit like a throwback to you, more of a an old school Pete Carroll kind of victory? Now, it's funny. I always attributed 
I know what you're talking about. The slow start, the the fantastic second half. I'm thinking of a certain NFC Championship game against the Green Bay Packers that oh my. Uh, I watched in your living room uh, back in the day. One of the most astonishing games I've ever seen. Yeah, but I always attributed that more to Russell Wilson than to Pete. Do you think that's a Pete characteristic as well? It's not just Ru- I mean, look, it ha- R- Russell's not here anymore, and, and it just happens. So maybe it is a there's something about a, a Pete Carroll coach team. But to me, it felt like a Russell attribute. Yeah, you know, I think it is a Pete Carroll um, attribute. I mean, obviously, he'd like to score quickly and all of that. Um, but I think that Pete's very comfortable with an uncomfortable game, if that makes sense. I think Pete is very comfortable with, hey, we'll we'll get this done at the very last minute. You know, I don't care if it's pretty. All I care about is getting the win. Um, maybe it's that Pete spent so many times in college football where style points are important. Maybe this is his way of weekly just having his own kind of uh, presentation against the idea of style points. And hey, no, this is, you know, it's all just a win as a win as a win. Um, but I do think it is a Pete Carroll thing. It certainly is something that Russell has a knack for. I mean, I watched the Denver Bronco game as well and kind of just on cue, like towards the end of that game, Russell just started being vintage Russell and, and leading them down the field, um, even though he struggled in the beginning. So I think that it's a I think it's both of them, to be honest. I think they both have it in their blood to kind of finish strong. Um, but I, I do think that Pete coaches the team in a way that leads to games like this. I think that's true. Um, even from a defensive perspective, there's a lot of bend, but don't break, right? Keep it in front of you. Don't give up the big play. Um, there's a lot of commitment to running the football. And I think all of that kind of leads to lower scores and in general, more of a muddy game. And I just think Pete's kind of comfortable with an ugly, muddy game. All he cares about is the win. That's interesting. You know what I thought was there was kind of a a camera pan as as we're kind of setting up the game and arriving just before kickoff and this pan across the stadium in Nashville and I'm seeing the upper deck and uh it's looking sparsely populated up there and I had the thought that like oh all right so 6 days ago uh against the Eagles nationally televised game you got the 12s in there you know it could not be a, a more robust sound coming yep. from the crowd. And then I, I had the thought that like, oh, Nashville, it's it's not a city that supports the Titans very well historically. They're eliminated from the playoff hunt right now. And this is a stadium that is is going to be half empty to not even half full. It's going to be half empty. And it made me wonder if there was going to be quite a bit of a come down uh, just from that unbelievably emotional experience. And I do think that's what happened. And there was, all right, so two weeks in a row now, the, the Seahawks have won a game 20-17. to 17. Tremendous long drive in the fourth quarter to win it. Little quick defensive stop to seal it. And yet these games could not be more different because I was very inspired by the Eagles one. This one was so frustrating because... You know, they're they're down for most of the game, not by very much. So I, I, it felt winnable, but it's like, hey, you guys are down. This team's eliminated from the playoffs. You're looking at Mike Vrabel on the sidelines. I don't know if I've ever seen a coach look more annoyed with Always. his team and just yep. like, it, it, his attitude was just like, I can't believe you guys are making me do this, you know, which is uh, not a good, uh, compared to Pete, you know, it's very, uh, it's it very opposite. And it just felt like for the Seahawks, too, like, hey, 
hey, you guys know that if you just take care of business here, uh, you get a, a playoff spot. You know, it, it really felt like they weren't playing with that awareness. And I, I, it felt to me like the that actual stadium being kind of dead comparatively had a lot to do with it. But it was disappointed that they weren't kind of carrying that. It didn't feel like they were really carrying that motivation until the end of the game, you know. There's a way they they put this game away early and really, you know, announce themselves as a playoff threat. And yeah, I just kind of wondered if did did you see that shot where you just or did you just kind of looking at you're looking at a lot of empty seats over there in Nashville? Yeah, I think I actually um, saw <clears throat> after the game, ESPN will show the percentage of the stadium, you know, and and how what the capacity is, and I think it was like eighty percent capacity or something like that. So to your point. Not super well attended, not terrible, but like for an NFL game, a lot of NFL games, most I would say are 95 or above or, you know, 100% basically. I mean, there hasn't been, Lumen has been sold out for the past, you know, who knows, 10 years, whatever. So yeah, to your point, yeah, the last 100 years, um, Lumen Field specifically by that name, no other name has been sold out. Um so, yeah, no, to your point, there there definitely, I think, was a letdown when you bring up Mike Vrabel and his body language. When I, when I think of Mike Vrabel, I always just think of him on the sidelines, hands on his knees, just kind of looking in front of him, like at the ground somewhere, like with just kind of this distant, like looking off into the distance. Can, can you picture it? Like <laughs> what oh, I'm saying? Yeah. You, you took me right there. It's, uh, that's really funny. And, and it, it felt like... Um... You know, uh, Tariq Woolen makes that Tariq Woolen makes the play to to wrap up the game, and he was just in a hurry to get on that field. Like I think even his team hadn't quite realized that the game was lost yet, and he's like, "Yeah, my headset's on the ground, and I'm there's five seconds left, and I'm walking out to shake hands, and I'm relieved to be done with this." Thing. We're, we're good. We're, let's get done. Um, no, it, I, so you know, it's funny you bring up Reek. You know, maybe just talking a little bit here about some key defensive plays. I will say. I love the way we started the game on defense. You know, I, in fact, before we started um, uh, podcasting here, I, I rewatched that first drive or lack thereof that Tennessee attempted. Looked like really tight coverage. I'll say this, and I think this has mostly to do with how one dimensional Tennessee is offensively. Um, I feel like you saw the cornerbacks attacking the ball a lot in this game. Um, everything seemed to always be in front of them, and they it seemed that they knew where it was going. And I'm assuming that's because Tennessee has a, an extremely mediocre quarterback, one good wide receiver. I not really any tight ends to speak of. They have one incredible running, but you know, they uh, as one dimensional, basically of a team as you can get. And it was interesting to see you, you could see our cornerbacks kind of feasting on that a little bit and having almost having fun with them. Like, I'm going to go after this ball. I'll try to jump this route. I mean, Reek had a couple of opportunities there. One, you know, where it really looked like he could have had a pick six. Um, but I love that last play. I mean, I will say there is something special about that last play of the game. Um, I don't want to make too much of one play, but the fact that last play where Reek comes in and his the hit he puts on that guy push, you know, makes him go backwards, which keeps the clock going, even though he goes out of bounds. I feel like that's a really heads up engaged play. In fact, that's what I'll say. That last hit that Reek made, it was a vicious, strong hit, but it was also like very extremely engaged. 
And that was my favorite part of his game was just it, it seemed as though we've seen Woolen have a couple of weeks where he's just out there. It seems like he's kind of going through the motions. It seemed to me as though this was a game where he was extremely engaged and that no better example than that last play. Yeah, hopefully it's just one of the the endless examples of, of Pete really committing to a guy. And there was, uh, I don't forget if we discussed it that much or not, but he was benched for the majority of that Eagles game. Woolen was, and and you know, hey, that that um, could be a good thing for a player in the long run, and, and maybe that we start to see the the fruits of that kind of hard moment. Always compete, yeah. I mean, and it's it is good especially with a team where starters are becoming more solidified to have a couple of spots where young guys know, no, like got to keep competing. Like Tariq Woolen had as good of a year last year as you can have um, as a rookie. And the fact that it's like, no man, you can still get benched. These guys behind you, they're pretty good too. Um, that's, I think it's a really powerful statement. Um, as you, you are right to say that, that the defense did an excellent job. And like I mentioned, second straight week, allowing under 200 passing yards, uh, without the man Devin Witherspoon in either of those games, that that's pretty awesome. Um, I was, the emotion I felt mostly was a little bit of annoyance. And as this game was going on, I was thinking a lot about a clip that I saw. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a Bill Simmons thing and make an NBA comparison. So there's this great video of Giannis Adetokounmpo, the MVP, former MVP, former NBA champion. And uh, it's it's within the last year or so. And he's coaching at this clinic. It seems like it's a bunch of high school students from around the world, high school students. And there's a moment where he's not satisfied with what he's seeing out on the court at this clinic sometime in the offseason. And he kind of shows that, hey, when you guys are like catching the ball in the corner, you're just kind of catching it and passing it right back. And he's like, here's how you do it. Same thing, catching the ball in the corner, but like, boom, catch, boom, hard jab step to like challenge the defender. And just and then he kind of shows a bunch of examples, even just like throwing an entry pass. He just kind of shows, okay, if you, you know, like Chris, ball moves here, ball moves here, now defender's out of the way, and I have the the path to make this easy entry pass into the post and at the end he and he's not even really saying words he's just kind of showing like okay you can walk through this or you can do this like you can really do this and at the end he says it's basketball use your imagination and I saw that about a month ago and it really changed how I watch basketball because you the, the decision making in the NBA these days, it's so quick, it's so fast. And when you watch it through that perspective, you really see how good these guys are, how quick all the moves flow. And to me, what Giannis was really talking about was playing sports at a championship level. There's something about a championship team. It takes it takes so many factors. It can only strike a player or a coach for a couple years of their career if they're lucky. So many factors have to come together, but I think that's one of them. Everybody on the team is fully engaged in this like championship level, using your imagination, if you will. And it just felt like with the Seahawks offense, you weren't getting that. It's it's kind of like we're we're not we're not using the imagination. The talent's out there, but it feels like not everything is crisp and attacking, that even these like little moments the the equivalent of catching the ball in the corner whatever that is in a football play 
it just felt like it wasn't really happening. It was a whole nother first half where they were kind of sleepwalking through it. First half numbers, four drives, three punts, uh, 108 yards total, and 12 minutes with possession. So it just goes a long time before it's like, boom, we're really engaged. And even on the the goal line at, at the end of the game, I was really, it felt really bizarre to me that um, they ran with the ball at like the three. They brought in Charbonnet for his first two rushing attempts of the game. I was like, whoa, this guy's coming in cold, man. And then I looked at it and it, um, Previous to the game today, Charbonnet had 11 attempts inside the 10-yard line and one touchdown, compared to Walker had 19 attempts inside the 10 and six touchdowns. So I thought it was just really bizarre of like, all right, so Charbonnet, a lot of positives going on, pass blocking, great receiver, one touchdown and 11 rushing attempts. You know, Walker deserves those goal line carries at this point. It just felt like, um, yeah. I have mentioned throughout the year, it feels like the team's rebuilding and it feels to me like there, there needs to be that spark of imagination somehow in order to get to a championship level. Oh, the last thing I wrote down, 36 pass attempts from Gino today, only three deep attempts, which I think was only like, I think pro, uh, one of those deep passes was, went for 19 yards. So it's it's that's only ten or fifteen. I'm not sure how Pro Football Reference categorized a deep attempt. I tried to find that, but it's only either ten or fifteen air yards. Three attempts out of thirty out of thirty six going deep. It feels like it feels like, and none of them. All those targets were to lock it. None of them were to DK. I just I want that spark of of imagination. What do you think? Does that yeah, make any so sense? <laughs> it, it does. So it's funny when you, I love the basketball analogy because you can, you can see that like when, when a guy is locked in and focused on a basketball court, it's different. And you can watch the same player one, one day or one week playing at that pace and the crispness, the, the way you describe, you know, just the, a crisp inbound pass, right? I mean, it just, you can see the difference versus going through the motions and it can be the exact same play but it's different um and as you describe that i instantly thought of dk and i i thought of dk earlier in the season versus now and to me it seems as though we're seeing that that um urgency that like no like it has to be perfect and i'm going to try to make this guy i'm going to try to make this guy look like a fool in front of me i feel like we've seen that from dk more and more over the last few weeks which is which is great and i i think we saw it a few times in this game as well where there's just a a different level that he was playing at different crispness um so i do agree with that i wonder with the deep ball stuff because i noticed that as well I do wonder, though, if that plays into a game plan against a team that you know is limited, where it's like we're going to take less shots. We're going to um, we're going to take less chances because we don't need to. Um, I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do or not, but I, I just wonder if that that plays into it. Or, I mean, it'd be great if Pete was here. If he's like, no, guys, it just it just ha- it just didn't happen. Like just for whatever reason, it just I don't know why, but we didn't get the deep shots this game. We wanted them. We didn't get them. I don't know. You know, it's like maybe that was just not being on the field enough because um, I would have liked to see that. I mean, he just barely, I don't know if you remember this, kind of early in the game, he just barely missed um, Tyler on a on a really deep shot that was you know right in front of the end zone. It was a, probably a 40-yard pass or something like that and just missed him. He, he 
he put it just a little too far in front of Tyler. Um, he couldn't run under it enough, um, which I mean, that would have been a, a bit of a game changing play. But I do wonder against a team like this, if kind of instantly you say, OK, we're just going to play it more conservative because we just we know what they can do and what they can't do. And we feel comfortable keeping it in front of us. Maybe they played a little too conservative, right? Like maybe we don't need to win by three points versus the Titans. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's it's so hard to know. What I also like, y- you bring up the Charbonnet goal line. I wonder if that's a big difference between really great teams in the NFL and good teams in the NFL. Like having certain staff members that are good ab- about like the the rotation of players, right? And like, nope, this isn't the right time for him. Let's get him in. Because it seems to me that for most of my time watching Pete Carroll teams, the the substitution seems to be kind of haphazard or or like it's a random coach that's in charge of substituting players and like no one no one's paying enough attention to it. Like you hear that a lot. Like he mentioned, yeah, I wish Derek Hall was playing more. It's like what? Like <laughs> you're you're the head coach. <laughs> can't you say I want to see him on the field more or I, he said that about a few players this year like oh yeah we we need to get him in more like I don't know what's happening it's like who's in charge of that like who's who's in charge of the rotation and making sure that to your point you know maybe in a key situation it's not Charbonnet it's it's um, you know the guy who's been there a few more times I, I don't know how that works I wonder if there's teams that just nail that though there must be right like it, of of 32 teams in the NFL, there must be certain teams that have whoever's in charge of substituting on offense and defense is like a savant at that job. And then there must be teams that's like, oh, yeah, Miles, you haven't been in for a while. Get, get in there, man. Like there must be like a different like I don't know where the Seahawks are there on that spectrum. Yeah, it's got to be pretty night and day. I, I do. I my first thought was maybe it's only three or four teams that nail it. And those are the the championship teams, you know, the the teams that we know are are really headed towards the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, it, it made me wonder if if because um, I look up this stat. I mean, it's it's a pretty clear difference between Walker and Charbonnet, you know, uh, on those. And I wish Pro Football Reference broke it down with, with runs inside the five because you know it's a pretty big difference a, a run on the nine versus a run on the three, you know. Um, but it made me wonder if they even knew that, you know, because if they knew that, I don't think you would bring Charbonnet in cold off the whole game for that moment. That wasn't, yeah, that was a weird, yeah. Unless, yeah, I guess unless Walker's like, bro, no, I'm so tired. Like, I just, I cannot do this snap or whatever. It does, yeah, it seems very odd, but it does seem like something we see fairly often. So, yeah, I just don't know. Maybe they need us on the field being the elite substitutors and just being like, hey, guys, no, let's just, you know what, let, let, let's get Cam Young. That that would be the problem. They wouldn't be able to trust me. I'd just constantly say, let's get Cam Young in there. They'd be like, no, man, like, we have Leonard Williams. What, what's wrong with you? Snap counts. Um. Yeah, I am. I now that you mention it, though, I I am curious about how that is handled within the team because it'd be a lot. It'd be a lot to track as as things are flying around out there. Going back to something you said a few minutes earlier, it, you're totally right to mention that a switch has flipped from between DK start of the season to second half of the season because it was another masterful game by him, drawing penalties, 
uh, every catch he's making, looking to be extremely aggressive with the ball after the catch. And I'm not sure who the number one wide receiver is in the NFL, but I think what's more important is that there's like a tier of like Super Bowl winning number one wide receivers. And DK, even though maybe there's there's guys like Tyreek Hill or, or, or others, Justin Jefferson, who have more impressive stats, I think it's fair to say that DK has absolutely leapt into that. You can win the Super Bowl with this guy as your number one wide receiver. And that's what's more important to me than where where he'll rank in receiving yards at the end of the year. Yeah, what kind of problems does he cause defenses? What 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 adjustments do defenses have to make on him? Um, he talked about that last week quite a bit where um, it was like, okay, Tyler's being doubled on this play and DK will be doubled on this play and Jackson's doubled on this play. And they, they talked about like the, the play where Jackson got his touchdown last week. Um, that just, that was the play where he was one-on-one, right? And during that play, he was one-on-one because they were doubling DK, right? And that's, I think that's what you're talking about. Like you need to have that guy that's like, Okay, like we're at the goal line. We're, we're not going to let DK beat us. And then obviously to have someone like Jackson or Tyler to be able to come alongside. Speaking of touchdowns, by the way, you must have been tickled pink when you saw that Colby Parkinson touchdown. Tell me, tell me the emotions you were feeling as you saw your tight end just take care of business in the end zone. Ah, uh, tickled pink. What a great way to describe it. You know what I'm bi- what I'm big on now. I, I think attacking the ball at the catch point. Yes, that's something that's come up on this podcast here and there. But um, the Titans and somebody else were were the the Titans and the Texans last week were, were playing a close game, and I kind of caught the end of it as it went into overtime. And that game flipped twice, one side on either team of somebody really attacking the catch point. And yeah, that touchdown doesn't get home unless Colby is the aggressor there that, that's what you see a lot from dk on on a lot of plays um and that has been my frustration with tyler lockett even though look i was looking at the full season stats i don't remember them but uh i do have to admit he's st- he's still playing at an elite level even though uh that's not a strength of his but uh you know i love to see it attacking at the catch point i think it's uh i think it's a major skill that doesn't seem like it's talked about that much even in this all-time offensive era you know you, no matter how analytically smart you are there's going to be so many more yards if you're just doing out muscling people at, at the catch point being aggressive towards the ball like that yeah no so this is a dumb analogy or, or a dumb visual but the first thing that came to my mind when Colby caught that was it was like it, it got caught by flypaper like flypaper is the first thing that came to my mind just because like his hand was out and it's like, bam, like no one else is getting this. It's like he absorbed the football. Like it was, that was such a pretty, um, you know, I don't even know if pretty catch is actually the right word to describe it. It was more of like a brute force, kind of like what you're talking about, like an attack brute force. I am going to get this, like this football will be absorbed by my body. I will land. We have the touchdown. Um, Love seeing Jackson all excited as well, running over there to him. That was a great touchdown, man. That that was beautiful. Um, I mean, as as we're talking about beautiful touchdowns, maybe this one, if that was a brutal, mean, aggressive touchdown, the footwork by DK on his touchdown was gorgeous. I mean, that was 
it was one of those the second he caught it it was so obvious to me and my dad it's like well yeah that was a touchdown like you can just tell by the way his body moves and the way his feet were tapping that like yeah the replay will show us this is a touchdown what a gorgeous play by by uh, dk there I felt the exact same way, yes, even before we went to the review and saw it confirmed. And I was, I really enjoyed that he just kind of walked away from from the play. I don't know if you yeah. caught that, but uh, he was just kind of, he, he, there was no like, hey, review this. He just walked away and kind of knew that he had taken care of business and I thought that was an effective way to celebrate <laughs> um, the non-celebration. The, this next section of the podcast is brought to you by Foam Padding. Um if you own a stadium in the NFL and, and you would like to protect players' bodies efficiently, um, we have found that our product, foam padding, is elite at doing that. Um, for instance, and, and Miles, I know this seems, what I'm about to say seems out there, but just bear with me here. Imagine if you had um, concrete, right, that is part of the intricate construction of your building and and let's say you you have a football stadium and right behind the football stadium there is concrete that supports the stadium itself and 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 the seats and the fans and all of that you have to have a concrete right because we, we, you know it has to be able to withstand um seismic events whatnot but imagine if that concrete is exposed and, and this is something most people wouldn't really think about i don't think like if that concrete's exposed and if you have athletes that are running at full speed to try to get touchdowns and there's concrete right behind where they have to receive that touchdown, it is possible, very unlikely, I'm sure, but it is possible that you could maybe hurt your knee, right? You, you might run your knee into concrete or maybe your elbow or maybe your head. There's a lot of different places where the human body is susceptible to injury if it runs full speed into concrete. Now, what we have found is if you simply put some foam padding over the concrete, you're set. And and you might say, well, Tristan, you know, we're going to cover like 90% of the concrete. Won't that be enough? We're actually going to recommend that uh, you cover the entire concrete area with foam padding. And I know that sounds crazy. I know you don't like it. I know it's going to cost two more dollars, but what we're telling you is it's the way to use the product. So I don't know if, if any of that makes any sense to you, Miles, but, um, but, and and I don't really know why we got the sponsorship of foam padding this week of any week, but we're going to take the money. And, um, if you're a football team, if you're NFL team or really any sports team and you have exposed concrete, um, call our client and they will, you know, cover it up with, it's called foam. Have you ever heard of foam, Miles? I've heard of foam. I was a little confused, though. Surely when you're talking about players and exposed concrete, you're kind of talking about where they're coming in from the parking lot, like there would be a lot of exposed concrete out there. Surely there wouldn't just be slabs of concrete, like five yards behind the field of play. Uh, you were I talking can't. about concrete in the in the parking lot or, yeah, or, or right there, right right where they are? I can't imagine. Why would you have concrete right where they're trying to perform? I mean, and even if we just, you know, looked at this from a, you know, a a purely cynical, you know, capitalistic, you know, perspective, you might say there's no way you'd have exposed concrete because these guys, their bodies are worth 
millions of dollars and billions of dollars in ad revenue. Like, like you're going to do whatever you can to protect them, right? There's so yeah. Again, I'm sure there's this is falling on deaf ears because there's no one dumb enough in the NFL not to just cover concrete up. So yeah, I mean, there's it's a this sponsorship will go nowhere. There, there's no one who needs to hear this. I don't think. Well, uh, th- thanks to Foam Padding for for sponsoring. I, I can't imagine what uh, inspired this, but uh, I'm on yeah. board for it. Okay, good. Um, thank God Jackson was able to come back into the game, right? I mean, I think both of us held our breath there. I think all of Seattle, frankly, um, probably a lot of Ohio State, um, probably the, the, the Smith and Jigba family in general, a lot of holding of breath as, as Jackson <laughs> just slides his knee perfectly under the foam padding to the exposed exposed concrete um thank god it looks like he was just fine but that would have been a devastating i mean just a devastating injury for us i was astonished he was able to come back into the game when i saw that happened i was my first thought was i hope there's enough time in the 2024 season for him to come back i mean that was full speed that was full speed it was full speed. I have no idea how how it did not completely shatter his knee, but um, wow, I, what a close call! What yeah. a close call! Well, and I mean to make it even worse. Speaking of foam padding, and not to uh, not to blame Jackson in any way, but I mean, like most wide receivers, he's not wearing knee pads. It doesn't look like. I mean, when, when you when he was on the sidelines, you're just kind of looking where the knee pads are supposed to be. It looks like those are just little empty pouches. And so that makes it even more scary. It's like, even he is not wearing, you know, that extra protection right there. So, I mean, it must've just hit perfectly where it didn't, if that hit his kneecap, I mean, to your point, this, the, it, he'd be done. So, so yeah, thank God Jackson was fine. We were able to, uh, to survive that one, but yeah, please Tennessee. We will pay for it as a podcast. Just send us the invoice. We'd be happy to cover the cost. Um, I had an an idle thought watching this game. I was thinking this before, but I think this game really confirmed it. I'm I'm pretty sure Pete and John are going to go pretty hardcore after impending free agent Derrick Henry in this offseason. I just think it just seemed to me like... uh, I just kind of felt it happening. I know Pete had met, uh, the last time the Titans played the Seahawks, Derrick Henry uh, did very well, and he did. it was another excellent game. And I think I think the Hawks might be benefiting from the Titans having Tajay Spears here because Spears is a great running back as well. Had a monster game, has really cut into Henry's production. So the numbers are down, but I think the effectiveness is still really good. Within the one uh, within ten yards of the end zone this year. Henry's had 20 attempts and eight touchdowns. That's an extremely good percentage considering, as we mentioned, the Titans don't really have a passing attack. The Titans have 10, uh, sorry, the Titans quarterbacks have 10 passing touchdowns on the year. Henry has two passing touchdowns of his own, including the one today. So eight touchdowns on 20 attempts uh, within the 10 yard line with, with like no passing attack really to be concerned about. Last year, he had 17 attempts in there and 10 touchdowns. It would be it would be interesting to see the man uh, in a Seahawks uniform, and I the most aesthetically pleasing runner of all time. Does that make sense? It really seems like he's he's such a powerful man, but the way he runs, he's kind of floating out there. I've always 
it always feels very different to me than any other player I've ever seen play football. The the sensation that somehow he's floating out there, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I I know I know that I feels to me like there's very few. I kind of agree with the analytical movement of of uh, you know that running back is in the most valuable position, but I'd like to see it. I think it could provide some great toughness in short yardage situations. He doesn't need to be getting 300 carries a year on the Seahawks. I think it could happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it could happen. He's gonna, It's not going to be that expensive, I don't think, right? I mean, to your point, running backs aren't getting paid what they used to, especially, I believe he's 29 currently, so I think he'd be playing in his year 30 um, year. Now that said, I mean, Mostert in, uh, is 34 in Miami and he's having an unbelievable year. And I agree with you. I think Derek's looked just fine this year. He, um, I, I you're right about his stride. I think it's cause he has such long legs, right? He just kind of, he strides differently than most players. I think he's what six, three, six, four. So that stride just looks a little different. Um, and he still has some great speed when he gets on the outside. You know, it's easy to think Derrick Henry, huge back, only can run between the tackles. It's not true. I mean, he can absolutely extend it on the outside and and has some really good success against us. Um, he's had a really weird year in that he's been up and down. Like last week, he had 19 yards. And then this week, you know, he he went off on the Seahawks. So it's like, how do you how do you figure that out? But I mean. One of my favorite things he's done it a few year a few times this year is the the passing touchdown. I believe he has 150 quarterback rating or passer rating. Um, Derrick Henry does, and uh, he he has like seven passes, like not seven on the year. I think he has seven in his career, but he has like three passing touchdowns this year. And so it's it's something he does, and I, I like the analysis of that play as it was happening because. As a defense, like as a corner, what are you supposed to do? Like Derrick Henry is coming at you, so you're going to go at him, and then he just stops, floats a little touchdown pass. It's kind of one of those like, yeah, like technically you were supposed to go back in coverage, but also like if you go back in coverage, then Derrick Henry is just going to keep running probably and get the touchdown as well. So that, that was a fun play. Fun now in retrospect. It was tough at the time. It was tough at the time, but I, I, I did. It did feel to me. It's not the flashiest play in the world, but as it was, as that's right. As I was looking at it, I was going, "This feels like the most unbeatable play." I'm not sure what how you're supposed to defeat this, even though it's uh, last number here. I looked up. I was, yeah. I was in through my one to ten yardage. Derrick Henry for his career, sixty-one touchdowns with this within ten yards. Sixty-one touchdowns on hundred sixty attempts. For Marshawn Lynch's career, 61 touchdowns on 217 attempts. Way Whoa. more attempts. So Henry converting uh, within the goal line at an even better rate than than Beast himself. That's hard to imagine, honestly. I mean, there's it's, it's hard to say I'd rather have one than the other, right? Like, if I had to choose, obviously I, I'd have to choose Beast mode because, you know, just there's a lot of love there. Uh, of course, but kind of an astonishing number. I still haven't forgotten about Gus Edwards. I don't know if you remember, I was enamored with him. Uh, another really big running back, also a free agent. I think between Henry and Edwards, I would, I would like to see one of those guys. It feels it feels a little wrong to be focusing on running back free agency 2024, but I think it could really help just somebody with, with a lot of size in that room and experience. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a very different kind of running back, right? And I mean, frankly... Maybe this, maybe it's a a fairly inexpensive position where you can get some really good 
experience on your team in general, right? And and I think Derrick Henry would be considered one of those kind of leader type guys uh, in the locker room. So do you want to hear some snap counts? I'd love it. So snap counts brought to you by... Um, uh, Poetry slams at cafes where people snap huh. uh, instead oh, of yeah. potting after. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, sponsor I, came in late this week. Yeah, very late, and and I appreciate you keeping an eye on our. Um, we have an old timey telegraph machine that comes through, and so I appreciate you always. You're always kind of looking at that ticker. Um, we'd like to upgrade that system, but it's just it's what we have budget for at the time. Um, so uh, Anthony Bradford, seventy seven percent. JSN sixty three percent. Kind of getting used to seeing that, right? Charbonnet forty two. Bobo, 26%. So we're kind of seeing Jake get back into the mix. You ready for my favorites, Miles? Are you ready for the beef up front? Absolutely. So the the beef, um, which is brought to you by um, Washington Cattle, actually, funny enough. Uh, we we got some Cam Young back in our lives. So Cam Young, 24%. Was very happy to see that, right? Give the other guys some... some uh, some snaps off uh Derek Hall 17% so we're we're kind of seeing those young guys numbers coming back up a little bit um which allows for the next two numbers I think to be pretty favorable which is um Jones coming in at 71% Williams coming in at 74% that's kind of where I think we want them to be um Jaron Reed 80% of the snaps I mean he's putting in a ton of work Boye Mafe, 82%. So you're you're kind of seeing we don't have a lot of depth behind Mafe, and he's having to play quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, I feel like a guy that we, we continue to see some spa- some splash plays almost every week, Mario Edwards, 30%. So I would say all in all, a pretty nice mix up front. We were able to get some of these younger guys in. Hopefully we keep seeing those numbers increasing with Young and Hall and even Edwards, for that matter, given, you know, Reed and Mafe a little bit more of a of a breather. Um, not sure if any of those stand out to you in a in a massive way. For me, obviously, it's Cam Young at 24 percent, Derek Hall at 17. The, the youth movement up front, I want to I want to see it continue. Seems like a really heavy workload for for Jared Reed. 80 percent is a lot of work on the nose like that. Charbonnet at 42 seems very high, again, considering he didn't get those uh, a touch rushing until the, the very last minute of the game. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of snaps out there to not really be getting the ball very often. He did have a couple passing targets, but not that many. Yeah, one big one that he dropped, which I think is fairly unusual for him. But uh, yeah, I noticed that as well. Uh, I think this is correct, that Kenneth Walker had 16 carries in the game, uh, which is okay. Like, would love to see that number a little higher. But yeah, to your point, I mean, uh, Charbonnet had like one or two touches the whole time. So it's like, it, it is weird. It's like he was out there quite a bit. I think they like him in pass pro, but would like to see him a little bit more involved, maybe just randomly in the game, you know, in the middle of the game, maybe not on the goal line, yeah, to your point. Um, Today, I, I heard my Pete Nugget, not from Pete himself, but from the words of KJ Wright, who really enjoying the podcasts and, and videos he's doing with G. Scott. Uh, I was astonished, as as closely as we follow this stuff, that there's still things to learn anew that are shocking. And this week, it was KJ mentioned that uh, Pete Carroll, 
as part of the the week-long routine, does not address the team on game day. There's like no moment on the game day itself where Pete is actually addressing the team. I mean, you're kind of imagining he's kind of going off for 10, 15 minutes in the locker room beforehand or something like that. But KJ said there's really no point in the schedule of game day where Pete is addressing the entire team. And that really the only time KJ would talk to Pete on a game day would be when uh, Pete's kind of cruising around when everybody's stretching and he's kind of like uh, catching up with everybody. Uh, it's just so different from how you would have guessed it would go. Um, I'm really curious about Pete's. I'm sure there's a very precise reason for that, but uh, it it shocked me how much I was shocked by a, a new piece of information about this football team. <laughs> That is a funny piece. Yeah, I I would not have expected that at all. I didn't hear KJ say that. That's that's really interesting. I um, it, you do get the impression that Pete does a lot of his coaching, a lot of his work, like throughout the week, right? And that it's it's the structure that Pete, that Pete brings. And I can imagine that on game day, it just must be he doesn't want to like everyone's in the zone, everyone's doing their thing. Like it's just it's not the time to make tweaks or to you know do anything, but you know, that random bit of encouragement during stretches, I guess, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that that is really, really interesting uh, to, you know, nice, nice Pete Nugget. Mine, I have, we both have kind of offbeat Pete Nuggets this week, by the way. Mine um, is a retrospective Pete Nugget, and it's from a couple of weeks ago. Pete was addressing the media, <clears throat> and Pete, it was great because the media member basically said after this, he's like, why do you think you guys are going to make the playoffs? Like, what makes you think this? But a couple of weeks ago, Pete was saying how much he liked the team and the idea that it's like, hey, you know, as we get closer to the finish line here, like this team has gone through so many battles that we are we are going to be prepared when we get into the playoffs. Like we are we are going to be a good playoff team where we're going towards that. And then even during that, like I think Pete says, like, I know you guys don't know how we're going to do it. I don't even know how we're going to do it. You know, I don't know what the numbers are, but we can do this. And the idea that um, that he was right, you know, and and again, not to say this team is not in the playoffs, but a couple of weeks ago, it looked really, really bleak. And we are in the midst of what a four game losing streak. Everything was falling apart. Now we sit here two games in a row that we've won and we're we're cruising towards the right direction. It's pretty powerful and it's pretty crazy to think about that, like on this side of it, Pete was right. Um, and, you know, now most people would say, yeah, 70, 70% chance you're going to make the playoffs. Like you did it. Good job. And uh, the fact that Pete felt that way in the midst of a four game losing streak is pretty cool. Like, like it, it goes to show his mentality and the way that he thinks about football doesn't change from week to week. He's just focused on, you know, the process and uh, the fact that, you know, it, I guess it, it's deserving of a bit of a shout out retrospectively because he was correct. And now we're in a really good position to be in the playoffs um, as this team is kind of coming back into form a little bit. You know, two weeks, it's not like they were the sexiest wins ever, but he got they got the W's, you know, so so shout out to Pete. There's there's my retrospective Pete Nugget. It, it just shows how how powerful his optimism is because there's a way standing at that moment. You're six and seven. You're you're in this middle of this four game losing streak. 
And you know what's realistic? What could happen in the NFL is that you lose out, and he goes six and eleven, end the year on a seven game losing streak, and you're out of a job. You know, but that's not even like it's not that far fetched of a possibility. But it never felt that it could happen, uh, just because of yeah, his, his his mindset wasn't being afraid of that. It was like, hey, we are going to make the playoffs, and he he did kind of will it into existence to some extent. I mean, it just goes to show, you know, I, I guess it goes to show what experience and like a level head will bring you right in life. And that, you know, Pete has a level head somewhat when it comes to football. And then he has the experience to know like, no, you know, look, things aren't going to go worst case scenario the whole time. And we're going to get a couple of these wins Obviously, no no one knew, you know, is Minnesota going to lose or not? No one, you know, knows the, the different implications going on. And and still we don't, you know, this team could still miss the playoffs. But, um, you know, I guess what a difference a couple of weeks can make, right? Just pretty, pretty crazy. Next week, second to last regular season game, 70% chance of making the playoffs. That's That's good. That's far from 100. This is a very important game coming up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, even though both the Steelers and the Seahawks have identical eight and seven records, um, I do feel like the the Seahawks will once again take care of business. The Steelers on the year also have like 12 passing touchdowns, which is wild. And this is actually a pretty important game for a little football trivia history question. Uh, So I don't know if you're aware of this, but Mike Tomlin has never had a losing year with the Steelers. Wow. So they're eight and seven, and they're closing against the Seahawks and then the Ravens. So it could Ooh. it could happen. And you know what? I I don't like this record. I feel like it weighs down a lot of new coaches. Because Mike Tomlin was very fortunate to kind of inherit this great situation from Bill Cower many, many moons ago. And I think it kind of skews us with new coaches that like like with new coaches, you're usually coming into a bad situation. That's why, like, because you're coming in where a coach probably got fired, you know, not retired like like Bill Cower did. And so it's actually a battle to get up to 500. To get your career record at 500, there's an uphill battle there. And uh, anyway, and there's no shame in having, you know, so think of that means, you know, Pete Carroll, John Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, you know, D- Tom Landry, Don Shula, like everybody else has had an under 500 year and I I would love for this record Sean McVay I would love for this record to be broken I think because because it I think it'll help everybody have a little bit of a healthier perspective on new coaches but because there's this one exception with Mike Tomlin and I would just (laughs) love to see it uh yeah just eight and nine that's not so bad come on it's it's funny yeah and, and to your point I mean he's such a he's such a legendary coach he's such a good coach and I think very similar to Pete the problem with Mike Tomlin is you you can't look at this game and think like, well, the Steelers are having a down year. Like they're not very good at quarterback. To your point, they, they don't have a lot of passing touchdowns. The, like we should win this game. We should. Except that like it's a Mike Tomlin coach football team, which means they're they are disciplined, which means like they they're going to um give you all you can handle, you know? So it's, it's, it's going to be a scary one. It does make me feel a little better. A couple of weeks ago, they asked Mike Tomlin what was wrong. And he said, I don't have any answers, which I was like, okay, so that this is like a pretty rough team for him. Like something, something isn't quite right in Steelers land. 
Um, it'd be great to get this win. Um, but man, I mean, you know, as a as an old Seahawks fan who has weathered a couple of tough losses at the hands of the as at the hands of the Steelers, one in particular um, in January in Detroit or or February, whenever that is February. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to count my chickens until this one's completely in the bag. Yeah, talk about feeling comfortable in a close uh, in a in an ugly game. Uh, that's, yeah, that's Tomlin's mo. And uh, I'll give a final score prediction on this. I think it'll be eleven to six. I think the Hawks will get oh, a, a touchdown, a field goal, and a safety. Steelers will get two field goals, and uh, yeah, it'll just be a total just grind it out. Yeah, just an, How about an, that? Ug- an ugly, ugly game. Interesting, interesting. Uh, so th- I'll give you this prediction. This the. I was going to say the Mariners win. The Mariners will not win this game. The Seahawks win. Um and it's the 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 score though will be in the teens. That that's my prediction that both teams will be in the teens uh, uh, in some sort. Um so it'll be between 13 and 19 points, but I don't think either team gets to 20 in this game. Um I hope I'm wrong and I hope this is I hope this is the perfect game we've been waiting for, the moment when special teams and offense and defense make just a beautiful baby but we'll see i was tongue-in-cheek with the 11 and 6 but now that i've said it boy boy am i rooting for that to happen yeah yeah well hey love to see a safety happen love to see the team get a safety i would like to see that yeah it'd be fun and actually by the way quite a few sacks in this last game right so let's keep the sack train going boy mafe i believe just had two sacks right on uh on Sunday. So let's, uh, let's keep it moving. I believe that puts boy at nine sacks for the year. So great year for him. Let's get him to double digits. Um, and if one of those could be in the end zone, um, you know, all the better. I think that I, realized that, I in my prediction, 11 to six, that means I'm predicting they're going to miss the extra point on the touchdown. So, um, you know, maybe that just happened. Maybe the Steelers Steelers will block that, but then we'll earn it back with the safety. So there we go. Maybe 13 and six. I'll stick to 11 and six. Yeah. Okay. 11 okay, to six. Enough. Yeah. I like it. Well, my, I mean, if that happens, what a triumphant pod this will be next week. Yeah. My goodness. I, I, I kind of hope it doesn't because I hope we have a lot of touchdowns to talk about, but it would be fun if we just win a, a muddy, ugly game, which is very much a possibility with the Steelers. Oh man, if I was a good host, I'd know this. With the Steelers coming to Seattle, is that correct? Is this That's a correct. home game? Yes, okay. last yeah. home game of the year. Last home game of the year in the Hawks Nest. Um, Miles, thank you again for another stimulating Hawks conversation. Another win. Go Hawks! My pleasure, Tristan. What a what a great time chatting with you.